0: Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Hello everyone and welcome to Shouse in the House. Um, I am your host, literally Heather, and I have with me today... A welcome back, guest. Um, he is a Border Patrol agent, and it's been almost exactly two years ago. At that time, he was under the Trump administration with um, a whole different set of rules for the Border Patrol. I'm having him on today um, to talk about a couple different things, to set some clarifications um, in place, and to talk about some more like broad-scale themes that I think are missing in the conversation when we discuss the border. Um, the last time that I had on my show, we we worked specifically around legalities, like the legal entry into the United States. This time, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, dealing with the different administrations, some of the rules, what actually is going on at the border. Um, I think a, a more long form conversation is a necessary thing right now, uh, considering the climate. We're coming into a new election in November, and I think, you know, I I think obviously if you know me and know my position, um, the border's never going to get quote-unquote fixed because it gives a talking point to both sides of the aisle, Um, but I'm always open to being educated and a new perspective, so that's why I had my dear friend on with me again to come to you guys and have a part due of our conversation. So um, let's start, if you don't mind, um, with working under the new administration. So when I talked to you last time, you know, it was essentially um, once you guys apprehended um, an illegal crossing into the country, you um, send them back, you deported them across the border. Uh, based off of what I'm seeing, certainly coming out of Texas specifically, um, Abbott is taking them and putting them on a bus and sending them to Washington, D.C. He's even um, elicited having flights take them to Washington, D.C., which is a stark contrast from how it's been handled for essentially the last year and a half. Talk to me a little bit about some of the difference administratively. Now, I know there's a lot of other things and we'll get into some of that, but administratively, just off the top, like what is some difference in this administration versus what you dealt with in the Trump administration?
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Heather, for having me back on your show. And uh, thanks to your listeners who, uh, who tuned in last time. I I hope to bring some insight to what is going on down here at the border. Um, First of all, and not to derail your, your wonderful question. I I wanted to send my condolences out to the family and friends and the the military unit um, service members of Specialist Bishop Evans. It's my understanding that um, they've they've recovered Specialist Evans now. So before we get started, I I wanted to kind of set the tone about life down here on this river on the U.S. border with Mexico. It's dangerous for those who Give their lives, who have dedicated their lives for the service of our constitutional republic for this great nation, and it, it's like this often and unfortunately, every so often uh, we, we lose one of our guys and so to that end, I just wanted to especially speak specialist Evans's name and uh, thank him for his service and Send my condolences and our, our prayers and our well wishes to his friends, his family, and his unit. So, uh, to thing, that end, let me um, let me specifically get. Hold
0: on, let me interrupt you really fast. So, Specialist Evans, for those who don't know the story, he was actually um, traveling into the Rio Grande to rescue um, some individuals mm-hmm. who were who were having a hard time, and he, um, in the process of his rescue, was missing. So, I didn't know that they had recovered him so I do appreciate you bringing that to my attention. And I, I also, um, pass my condolences on to the family of specialist Evans.
1: Yes. Uh, what, what I'm aware of or what we know so far is that, uh, he was wearing some body armor and what I've been told is he did take his body armor off and he did leap into action to attempt to save, uh, to save a life. And, um, the uh the current and the the swiftness of that river can be unforgiving, especially to people who are not significantly trained uh at rescue swimming so uh, but I, I wanted to uh just just offer the condolences and and bring him up and uh then get to your question if that's okay
0: no that's great I, I appreciate think
1: we're having it. all right I, I was about to say i think we were having some uh some technical difficulties, but I can hear you okay. So your your specific question was uh essentially like compare and contrast the the differences between the previous administration and this administration and primarily focused on post apprehension and what happens to those that we have encountered processed and, and what happens next is is that accurate what you were wanting me to
0: Yes so comment? that that first and then possibly delve into kind of the differentiation between when someone is a seeking who who is seeking asylum versus someone who is just an okay. illegal immigrant crossing into the country illegally.
1: Okay. So um let me let me take on the asylum portion first. So there is and I think we discussed this pretty detailed in your in our last interview, our last conversation. Uh asylum is very specific language. It's codified by the law, and it has become a political football in the administrations who are in charge of the executive, and previously, before Trump, there was the Obama administration, and under Jay Johnson, they took a very liberal uh, approach, a, a liberal, if you will, wordsmithing of the portion of the asylum legality, which falls under what, what we call the uh, the credible fear, a person having credible fear of being returned once they are encountered, apprehended by us, we return them to their home nation. So they have to express a credible Fear. And we got into this during our last interview that the credible fear doctrine, uh, going all the way back to the uh, Ronald Reagan, even before that, Jimmy Carter phase of enforcement on immigration, was more directed at individuals that we encountered who are seeking to leave a communist nation such as Cuba or the former Soviet Union and come to the United States. It was very difficult for America to deport these individuals to nations that we knew, once we returned them, there was a very high probability that they would be imprisoned as a political prisoner, tortured, and potentially even face death, uh, a pretty gruesome death, you can imagine, under the, the former communist nations. So that was where this all went. Now, that is codified into law, and it was still there, and we have been granting asylum specifically um, every single administration grants asylum claims under their Department of justice, under the state department there's there's many different avenues for individuals outside the United States now, typically a person who is seeking asylum has escaped or is in the process of fleeing and, and coming to the United States through other countries right they've left their home country they're passing through an intermediate country like mexico and they seek to get to the united states Um, they will rush to the nearest u.s consulate or to a port of entry and there will be a representative from our government at that site who they will encounter and they will petition lawfully for asylum. That's the process. Now, if they skip that and they follow their, their objective by reaching the United States, by illegally entering into the United States, that's typically where we will encounter them, right? So upon illegal entry, if they walk right up to us, then they can attempt to seek asylum, right? They're not running from apprehension. They're not running from someone in an American uniform with an American patch, right? The American flag on their shoulder. Or the as a border patrol, we don't have a US flag, but I mean obviously we are the authority on the US southern border. So they're not evading. They're not trying to escape. They're not giving us a, a run. Trying to, to get away right They're They're obviously coming straight to us. And you'll see those scenes like on right on the, the river. They'll they'll come out of the river and they'll walk right up to a, a known point where there are soldiers, you know, National Guardsmen, U.S. Border Patrol agents, even local and state authorities, the, the DPS troopers that are down there, some sheriffs that are down there. We even have volunteers that are down there. So those are the people that typically will ask for asylum. However, the difference in getting to the second portion of this question is what are the differences in, in how that is interpreted depending on the administrations, right? So the former administration, President Trump, he had a, a pretty much like by the letter of the law uh, philosophy, legal philosophy, which is, hey, it's it's got to be a credible fear of us handing you back to your government, right? So. Right. If we were to if we were to deport somebody back to Honduras who crossed through Mexico and then nexus into the United States across the u s Mexico border across the Rio River, uh, would that person credibly be able to say, "Oh, the government of Honduras is going to imprison me or I'm going to become a political prisoner for attempting to flee?" Honduras, or is the government of Honduras, are they going to execute this person as a dissident, right? right? The answer to that question is obvious. How many people are being executed in Honduras for leaving? Uh none that I'm aware of. Please educate me if that's not accurate, right? Same goes for people leaving El Salvador, uh Guatemala, even people coming over from Mexico, right? So the way that the former administration looked at it was well, is the government a credible fear? Do we even have normalized diplomatic relations? Let's start there, right? Do we have a U.S. consulate? Do we have a U.S. embassy? Do we, do we have a, a trade status for that country? Do we have open lines of communication? Is that country receiving international aid from the United States? These are questions that were legally looked at by that administration to determine Uh, Is this a hostile nation? Is this a nation that we should look at as a nation that if we encounter one of their citizens seeking asylum, would they legitimately have a credible fear claim? And it's my understanding that the former administration evaluated the, the, the typical suspects, the usual suspects of nations that their citizens we constantly encounter more of than other nations which are those three and they came to the conclusion that no it is not a credible fear so the individuals that we encounter are saying that they there's murder there's gangs there's you know drug activity uh in these nations and that's what they're afraid of so seguing to the president administration, they are saying that that is good enough. And also, uh, you can see it in the news, some of the the buzzwords that they're using out there is that people are, are fleeing climate change issues in these other countries. Now, that's not something, I, I know, that's not something by policy that we're getting into, the United States Border Patrol. I'm just saying that that's some of the, The stuff that guys like me we read the news and i'm like climate change like these people aren't coming here because it's too hot they're they're coming here because the the law is not executed as it's written the law is not being applied how it's been done in the past by other administrations so um from a from a border patrol agent perspective right um we shouldn't be altering the enforcement of laws that have been long passed by previous Congress, signed by presidents who are no longer in office and have long since been replaced by multiple other administrations, right? We're talking about the Immigration Act that was passed in the nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty six, right? So how many Congresses and presidents, even Supreme Court justices, have we seen shuffle through since this was passed, and we should not be seeing administration to administration different interpretations of the same law. Um, Primarily, I mean, we're sending the wrong message. We're sending a mixed signal to the world that depending on whether or not you have an R or a little D behind your candidate, your, your political politician in office, determines whether or not you have a better chance of skating the law. So that's my opinion. That's not the opinion of the United States Border Patrol. Uh, none of my opinions here are going to be official positions of the agency at all. Um, simply just giving you the boots on the ground perspective uh, from, from from my angle. So I hope that kind of long-winded answers your your question. Was there no, any it, it was there portion of that? No, it was
0: perfect. Um, I I would like to know for you personally, as a border patrol agent, a little bit more specifically about how your job has changed from what I mean, our engagement and interactions with one another. It's my understanding that um, you have gone from much more of an apprehension role where you're actually protecting the border to an administrative role where you're just cataloging and processing. Would that be a fair assessment? Well, the
1: that that is that is accurate. Obviously, um, our our individual duties are assigned to us um, based on the different metrics uh, that are happening in real time. So, what I do from day to day may not always be the exact same duty that's assigned to me. Um, however, we are in all the stations across the United States. Every border patrol station is they are tasked with sending more of their agents directly to the U.S.-Mexico southern border. And the perception that maybe the American people have of that is, wow, okay, more boots on the ground. There's more border enforcement. This is a good thing. However, those agents are going to central processing centers uh, that are opened up and more on the horizon are being planned for and are being opened up. And by our laws, we have to do the casework, the processing of the individuals who are encountered and or apprehended by the U.S. Border Patrol or turned over to the United States Border Patrol by other agencies like Department of Public Uh, DPS, the Department of Public Safety for the state of Texas, the Texas troopers, or the local county sheriffs, or anyone else who encounters and calls out, like ranchers. Uh, Ranchers are constantly encountering and calling the U.S. Border Patrol, and we show up. And uh, they sometimes have them at gunpoint, or at least are carrying sidearms to defend themselves on their own property. So they'll encounter large groups and those groups will will sit down and wait with the rancher because the rancher's holding them for us and we come up and get them. So in a long-winded way of saying it, um, right now we are we are sending more and more of our physical agent assets to process, not just from the indigenous stations inside of the sectors that share real estate with Mexico, But northern border stations from uh, Blaine sector in Washington all the way across to Maine. And these agents are being sent down here for, I think, 28 days at a time. Let's call it 30 days. They're here for an entire month, right? And then they're sent home to their home station for approximately one month. And then they are sent back. These are guys with families, with children, with a life up in the northern regions, and they're being recalled down here. It's obvious to state the obvious here that for every agent not on the northern border, that's a border enforcement that is not happening in their region. We we have northern border for a reason because there are individuals who are Immigrating into Canada, right? We can talk about the Canadian porousness of their. The, I mean, you know, Canada pretty much accepts anybody, right? I mean, anyone wants to become a Canadian citizen, they can apply, they get a, a <laughs> visa, they they can. I mean, it's true, right? I mean, you're laughing, but um, th- there's so many different no,
0: I'm laughing nationalities who wants to be a Canadian. Canada. No, I'm
1: just kidding. <laughs> well, if you let's let's say you uh for the sake of this conversation let's say you're somali right or let's say you're pakistani um you could you could get on an aircraft and you could fly to canada you can get a ticket you can fly to canada you can get a temporary uh admittance visa into canada and then once you're there you could just walk south until you no longer see snow and by then you know you're somewhere in america right so i mean anywhere uh in canada that the border is uh i would say it's way more porous the canadian border is than the u.s mexico border right i mean so that's why we have border patrol agents up on the northern border for that very contingency so they're being brought down here um so as as you see the numbers right as you see the the metrics advertised uh spoken of by the talking heads whatever you want to call it in the in the news every day um as those numbers go up the number of agents assigned to process goes up and let me just uh say that the guys when they return to their northern stations they're still processing they're doing what's called virtual processing everything's uh you know Across the board, it's all digital now. So inside of the the intranet of the agency where all of the the processing happens, uh, they're logging in and they're still working on cases back at their home station. So uh, as long as there are tens of thousands of individuals that are encountered that have to be processed, there are thousands of agents that are not physically patrolling the border. If that answers that question.
0: Yeah, it does. Some um, so how many arrests are, I guess, maybe apprehensions. I don't, I don't know that arrest is the right language. And I know how particular you are about that. But how many people are you guys encountering on a daily basis just at your station alone um, that are entering the country illegally?
1: Well, that's that's a good question. Um, that's the the phrase now that we are we are using. It's encounters, right? Uh, not apprehensions. We're, we're uh, we do we do make apprehensions, and that metric is counted. But the the language that is preferred these days is encounters. And we used to call the ones that we did not catch, but we did know about. We called those gotaways, right? Um, we don't say Godaways anymore. They're called non encounters. So there's encounters and there's <laughs> non encounters. Very, very binary, very sanitized, very tidy, you know, the lingo. So sure. as far as encounters go, um, we, wow, uh, I would like to say we, we're encountering more in our area. However, we don't have sufficient numbers of agents in the field. To go after these groups, and the groups are getting large. They're getting much larger than than previous. Um, We typically would encounter groups of you know ten plus on a regular basis. They're twenty plus. They're fifty plus. Um, We're seeing groups of one hundred plus, and we know that we're we're chalking those up as non encounters because they are confirmed. We have assets that can see them. over the the airspace, and we also have other assets that record their 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 passing as well. So we are logging a tremendous amount of non encounter uh, data. So I wish I could say that our actual apprehension numbers are going up. That is not the case because we have fewer physical agent assets that can go into the ranches, work down on the highways, work. Uh, in and around the the areas that these individuals and the smugglers, the organizations that profit from moving these individuals are using on a regular basis to circumvent detection, to evade being encountered and apprehended. So unfortunately, you're, you're not going to see larger apprehension numbers, at least not on the river. Uh, they make it past the river um, I don't want to say that they become a non-encounter, but it's, it's going to be very difficult for us to apprehend them once their furtherance is away from where most of our assets are still deployed.
0: Would you say that this administration's response to the influx of people coming across the border is malfeasance or detrimental to the country?
1: I will say that, first of all, this, this has been a, the issue of illegal immigration. It, it predates this administration. It predates the Trump administration. It predates the Obama administration. It, it goes further than the Bushes, the Clintons. It's been an issue, and it's been right. one that there has not been a significant amount of political willpower and I'm looking at both sides of the aisles and I'm looking at both of the political wings, left and right, that have kicked this can passed the buck, um, ignored the, uh, the gingivitis, right, instead of getting some mouthwash and, and taking care of it. And, and now it's beyond the pale. It's to the point to where this is a evening news issue and has been for years now. Yet somehow they do not wish to revisit the immigration law. They do not wish to. Congress has the authority, has the ability to address all issues. That's their job. Right. And, and we touched on this uh, during our, our last conversation. Yeah, I did. Um, so I, I, I don't want to, to blame the office of the president because. Quite frankly, they—the president—should not be passing law. They're the executive. They should be, they should be enforcing the law. So I'm, I'm not—I'm not saying that because I'm—I'm I'm afraid to say that. Oh yes, I'm wagging my finger at you, Joe Biden. That's not where my ire is at. It's at the people's house, and it's at—it's at going back to Paul Ryan. Hey, buddy, you—you you had the gavel, man. You had the The whole House and the Senate for two years, nothing came out of it. So it begs the question why neither side of the political spectrum wishes to address this issue. Do they not have a solution? Well, obviously they do because my agency sends them solutions, sends them requests, sends them contingencies. I know for a fact that we have members of my agency at a higher level who interface directly with the national security director for the White House, sending metrics, sending data, and sending up their course of actions for, uh, or I guess you would call them op orders and requests for assets and there's a back and forth. There's a direct line of communication I can confirm that to you, all right so it's 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 touchy some people want direct action, which then comes from the executive writing a executive order but but that's not the law um, m- me personally, I'm not executive order enforcement. I am law enforcement. my entire job and the only The only authority that I have comes from the people through their representative government passing a law, and then they hire me under the executive branch to go out and to, number one, be an expert and knowledgeable of that law, and then, two, to apply it in such a way that is fair, impartial, and I am to be a consummate professional of the law. That is that is the expectation, I think, of all Americans of their law enforcement, irregardless of their political or non-political affiliation. You want me to simply know the law, follow the law, obey it myself, and enforce it in a way that is uh, above reproach, right? So that that's my answer. I um, I would love, like I said, I would love to wag my finger and say, oh, well, you know, this administration is, is to blame. Now, I'm going to say something that might shock you, but I believe that the previous administration, the Donald Trump administration, is largely to blame as well. Now, Donald Trump, he talked a lot about the wall, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. Build the wall. Um, and and again, during our last conversation, I said laws are uh, walls, excuse me, walls are are fantastic, but they do not put handcuffs on people. Walls do not testify in court. Walls do not have uh, arrest authority, right? So, a wall is a, a good talking point. Um, and talking about building the wall, it, it's more like a political donations kind of thing for both sides, right? So, the the parties have learned that there are certain topics or there are certain issues in our country that they can fundraise for they can get up there and they can thump the podium talk into the microphone and they can catch the attention of the voter who only pays attention weeks before an election and they can say things like i'm going to build the wall and i'm going to make mexico pay for it you know that sounds great but what did he invest in the u.s Border patrol what did he invest in in the men and women of the uniform of the u.s Border patrol Um, we're still at the same levels, that he didn't push for uh, the Border Patrol to double in size. Paul Ryan didn't either. They didn't revisit, they didn't codify, they didn't pass uh, an amendment to the existing immigration law stating that, hey, these are the only terms by which a person can seek asylum into this country and they have to go through the state department to do it not through immigration enforcement if they're encountered by immigration enforcement and they did not cross our country into our country through a port of entry or through a consulate that gives you a temporary uh admittance to get on a plane and come in through Miami or somewhere else then no you you are not going to be processed by customs border protection or the us border patrol for asylum you will be processed for removal under our immigration laws that you have broken they could have easily i mean these are people that write laws that are how many pages thousands of pages that no one reads what we just you're laughing but it's true what we just said what was just spoken that could take up five pages ten pages an amendment both sides could agree upon it why can't they because they don't want to Because my suspicion, again, my own analysis, my own perspective, my own opinion, is that they get campaign contributions to stay in power or to seek power or to regain power on this issue. This is a political football issue. It will never go away until both sides, Democrat and Republican and Independent, all of the people of America wake up to the reality that their politicians, red or blue, are playing them on this issue. Some talk a good game, right? Uh, I'm looking at you, Ted Cruz. Man, you're, you're down here on the border. You talk a good game. But have you sponsored anything? Have you seriously reached across the aisle and found someone who feels the same way that you do uh, on this issue? And has co-sponsored a bill and is whipping up support on their side of the aisle, you know, or or, are you just are you just grandstanding coming down here in a blue shirt with your sleeves rolled up, standing in front of a secure zone of the the river that you're, you know, going to take some pictures and get a little dirt on your boots, shake a few hands and and go back and do what with that? You know, I mean, I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong that that. Senator Cruz comes down here, it brings the media and therefore brings the attention for guys like me. Um, But I mean, how many years of that? You know, how many years are we seeing these people in power come down here? And it just seems very strange that we start getting more attention the closer to another election cycle, which again, I mean, in American politics, you're, you're ever, what, 12 months away from any election cycle? It's always either some congressional district guy's up for reelection a uh, Senate you know member is up for reelection uh another midterm's coming up, another presidential election's coming up, so we never get out of an election cycle if it seems so there's always need to have a constant source of revenue for politicians to get elected reelected or uh, hold power or reclaim power so I don't know if that's shocking to you, if you even realize that might be my, my opinion on this, but that's how I see it. Um, we've had a few along the way, and I'll give credit where credit's due. We have had some congressmen who were actually trying to do what I just mentioned. And and sadly, um, they're, they've left office. And one of those congressmen was Will Hurd, Congressman Will Hurd. And that guy's got a bum rap from people uh, in the state of Texas a, a few times um, he's been called a rhino, and he's been uh, literally uh, blasted on on certain other issues, you know. But as far as the reality of was he a friend to the the person in the uniform that I wear? I have to say yes, he was. He tried. He tried to uh, craft legislation. It was sent to committee to die. He tried to get more Border Patrol agents. He tried to get pay parity for Border Patrol agents. He tried to fix some of the reasons why we we're having difficulty um, recruiting and retaining good agents. He was aware of those issues and he championed those issues and he put his, uh, he put his, 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 thoughts and his ideas into writing and submitted it before the people's house. And that's more than I can say about a great many of these politicians that just prop us up for uh, a campaign photo. So props to him. I, I didn't agree with a lot of uh, the issues that he may have had outside of uh, the border. But um, like I said, I'll, I'll excoriate somebody who deserves it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pat somebody on the back that I think also equally deserves it. Um, and and get ready for it because I mean it's it's midterms and the the poll numbers are just showing that the the party that's in power right now is probably about to get flushed. So I'm I'm waiting for AOC uh, to make her you know her biannual shirt. trip or whatever you know white shirt trip exactly down here. But I mean they <laughs> they, they what are they going to do? I mean they're going to yell about kids in cages. There there are more children being held today than ever before. Yeah. um, because there are more people coming here with uh, what we're calling family members, which segues back to what we were discussing previously. So for a person for them to have a better shot at getting asylum, um, if they bring a child with them, a minor with them, right? The younger the better, uh, the humanitarian side of the people of this great nation, um, nobody, I don't believe in America wants to see, anyone's child from any nation. These are children. These are little children. We're talking about babies, barefoot, many of them in diapers. They have no idea. They don't know anything about politics. They don't know anything about lines on a map. They don't know anything about geography. They only know that they are with this adult, presumably their parent, and they're making this long journey and then they have come into the contact and the custody and the care of a United States border patrol agent. And at that point they're they're not apprehended, they're not arrested. These are children, right? So we're dealing with in the middle of an immigration dare I say crisis. We're 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 dealing with a contrived, a fabricated and exploited humanitarian crisis we're talking about tens of thousands of children encountered think about your listeners I'm, I'm, I'm talking to your listeners right now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to envision when you were in high school and you went to a basketball game at your high school and you're sitting in a stadium with bleachers watching the game and the number of people that filled up just your high school gymnasium stadium a thousand two thousand people right that's a lot of people imagine a facility holding two thousand children that have been separated from the adult that they were with during the process of vetting the adult we have we have laws and we have case law handed down from the supreme court that says that we have to separate child from adult Sometimes it's temporarily and they get, they get reunited. Sometimes it is not, right? Now imagine, if you will, thousands of children who have made a horrific trek across another nation. Who knows what they encountered during that, right? They're already hungry. They're already exhausted. They're dirty. And now they've just been put into a, a, a holding facility right? And they've been removed from the person that they were traveling with. Whether that's their family member or not, they're at least familiar with that person. They are not familiar with me. I scare them, right? They don't know me. I'm in a uniform, right? Uh, There's lights everywhere. It's cold. I don't want to be here. Why am I here, right? They don't know what happens next in the mind of a child, thousands of them.
0: I want to ask you a question about the kids really fast. I've always contended that um, the United States government is the largest human trafficking organization in the country. We think about these rings of individuals, you know, that are that have nefarious intent. But our government, with our failures and our policies, have put children in a position specifically. I mean, other individuals as well, not just kids. but um, can you talk a little bit about how many of those children that you guys encounter? are actually with an adult that's not their parent, where we've encouraged this notion or this idea of, well, if you come with a kid, your chances are better. And then you get into this almost like child trafficking trade where um, coyotes are are stealing or getting children for people to cross the border. And then they're just left there.
1: Well, I'll answer that question, but first of all, I'm on a point of order, um, just wordsmithing. The federal government, by definition, cannot be a human trafficking organization because to be a trafficking organization, you must be turning a profit, and we are spending billions and billions and bleeding in the red. So the government of the United States is not financially gaining at all from this whether it's contrived or, or not, this particular issue. So number one, and and number two, uh, as a employee of the United States Border Patrol, uh, and just as a as a human being, I do take exception not at you because it's it's just an honest question, and it is a perception that is out there, and it's a buzz that I've read in the news that we're you know a human trafficking. The U.S. government is a human trafficking organization, the largest in the world, um, that would make me a human trafficker to some extent by, you know, by association. That would make my agency a uh, party to human trafficking. And from every bit of what I've seen for the years that I've been doing this job, um, nothing could be further from the truth as far as that perception goes. I, I understand how it, it is perceived to be uh, and pointed directly at this administration. But uh, the, the persons that the children are released to, um, there's a vetting process. The law requires that they're, they're released within 72 hours. And then it's a matter of housing and bed space and where these children um, can be held and, and be maintained and be secured um, while their next of kin is sought right? Uh, they're going to try to find a family member in the United States. Um, very hard to do. A lot of people don't want to be found in the United States once they disappear here. So the next option is to try to find somebody by the consulate from however we're able to identify the child. A lot of the time, I mean, and we touched on this during our last conversation, uh, the veracity of the documents that were provided. It's, uh, We have to pretty much take the the name on the document at face value because we have no vetting process to take uh, vital records from, say, El Salvador or Honduras. You know, Uh, it's a piece of paper and it says their name. You know, Um, there are forms by which we we use to try to authenticate and get that back through their consulate um, where we try to get as much information like, where did you go to school? What was the name of your church? What day were you baptized? Those those types of records are maintained specifically and predominantly uh, Catholic regions, right? Catholic right. nations. So if we can authenticate or, well, more importantly, the consulate of their home nation can authenticate that. So you have a person says, this is my name. My name is X, right? And I'm from this location okay well where's the where's the the church did you attend church where you're from yes i did what was the name of the church it was uh you know okay so we get that information we provide that we document that on a document on a form that goes with the con to the consulate and the consulate is working to try to give us something official that says, okay, there are records of this person attending that church by that name, baptized somewhere around the same time, something to that effect, right? That's the right. best we have. I mean, otherwise, how do you authenticate the, the identity of a child and then find their next kin, find their, their relative if they're not traveling with a parent, you know? So this, this, this country, our country has been put in a very hard position. And we're being taken advantage of because the people of this country are good people and uh, go to any baseball game, go to any uh, city park, you will see Americans that love children, love their communities. And, uh, you know, on both sides of the aisle, I think that this is the one thing that we can all agree on is that we, we should end child suffering, any possible means that we have to end it. Um, it shouldn't be a political situation at all it should be the willpower of the people and it should be every single representative in our government every single representative should be focused on on that issue and sadly i, I don't believe that uh i don't believe the american people have gotten upset enough about it quite frankly i don't think that the uh, american people are very much aware of just how bad it it really is you know um, so, I mean, reverse that. Imagine, um, imagine American children disappearing into Mexico, right? And what's right. America going to do? I mean, what, what's, what's Mexico going to do to validate these kids that may not even be old enough to speak, may not even speak the same language or just terrified to the point to where they, they don't even, they clam up, they don't talk. Um, well, I think what would Mexico too, do like, with, with our children?
0: When you talk about reversing that, I think that there are situations where we are losing potentially children, definitely adults, to things like the situation that's going on in Nuevo Laredo, and Mm -hmm. no one's talking about that. No one's talking about the fact that there are literal kill houses where massive numbers of people are being incinerated right on the border, Mm -hmm. and- Mm -hmm. You know, I it's interesting, and you have been in some of my um, spaces that I host on Twitter, albeit usually lurking. Quite, I, would, I would say, yeah, quiet. You know, <laughs> you don't usually speak because <laughs> I have a, a an interesting crowd of individuals that traditionally follow me. Obviously, I mean, my position um, two years ago, I was a conservative. Happy Republican and now I have become nothing but a politically homeless dissident. And um
1: uh, it's gonna be homeless.
0: <laughs> um some people of the anarchist and libertarian um bent typically do tend to travel into my spaces because I am um very liberty-minded. Um, I don't agree with everything. Obviously, I'm talking to a Fed right now. So (laughs) (laughs) for many of them, this conversation would be a non sequitur. But um, I want to talk about that for a little bit because some, I mean, the largest position for many of those individuals is this notion that why should we be doing anything at all? Just open the border and let whoever wants to come in, come in. It's just an arbitrary line drawn by the government. Um, there's no such thing as a sovereign nation. It's, you know, all about the individual. So talk to me a little bit about as a border patrol agent, why that would be a bad position. I mean, they're just going to call you a statist and they're going to, you know, say that that's wrong and you're thick skinned enough. You're Fair not going to give a shit. But I'd, I'd be really interested because I, I struggle with this, right? Like, there is a huge part of me personally that would like to see, you know, a fucking wall with turrets and snipers and, and a zero tolerance policy other than ports of entry where you come and you get processed the way you're supposed to. Otherwise, it's pure annihilation. Like, I and I that's extreme, right? But at this juncture,
1: Very with these...
0: Extreme. <laughs> with the social system set up the way that it is, where when you're talking about the amount of money that we're bleeding, right? The the amount of resources. Or fuck, you come in illegally right now, you get a brand new iPhone, right? And so we're I talking believe it's about
1: a Samsung Galaxy, but yes.
0: Oh, okay. I apologize. Samsung Galaxy phone. So we're we're operating like with Google accurate. and Android. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, But you're talking about, and I mean, like, let's let's just talk about, like, at these processing centers, food, diapers, formula, clothes, like the different things Ah. that we're allocating from a resource perspective, (laughs) right?
1: So you want to talk about the food and the diapers. Okay. Um, (laughs) Government contractors provide that. In the past, we we were the ones going out literally and buying it at the local grocery stores and Walmarts. But now, uh, since the previous administration, and especially during this administration, they are government contractors that provide a lot of the logistics. Oh, that's a good question. I would wonder if maybe these are uh, friends of the party or family members of the party who are board members of these uh, fly by night, uh cobbled together you know limited liability corporations that then get these lucrative hundreds of millions of dollars, dare I say billion dollar contracts hmm. and I think that it's probably played on both sides. I mean, building a wall requires contractors oh sure, not gonna say that possibly there weren't some people who were politically aligned with the appropriate side of the aisle who were selected. We all know that this is how the game is played in Washington, D.C. So, and don't think for a second that what they get lucratively in these million or even billion dollar contracts does not find its way back into the hands of the party that awarded the contract. Hey, we got a guy, he's struggling out here in this district and he needs money. Don't think for a second that that phone call or email didn't happen. And next thing you know, contractor, dumps $5 million into the campaign contribution coffer of a struggling political uh, ally on that side of the aisle. It's This is how it's played. So again, this is a way for, dare I say, taxpayer, it's not even taxpayers anymore. It's like future, not born, still sperm taxpayers. Uh, that that don't exist yet that are going to have to pay this bill because we're just printing money now out of thin air, but that's a completely different conversation. I don't (laughs) want to derail, but yes. um, (laughs) So logistically, right? I mean, these are tens of thousands of mouths to feed, tens of thousands of people that need a shower, need a toothbrush. Think of all the necessities, all right, that you need on a daily basis, but now you're being held in a facility, right? Um, it's, It's big business. It's it's got to be. Think of the the energy that has to be generated because uh, the communities that they're they're put in, it's a major draw on the, on the power grid. Right. So just like overseas in the military, you know, Kellogg, Brown and Root show up and they set up, you know, banks upon banks, row upon row of diesel generators. Now, it'd be a shame if someone came down to these facilities and was to take pictures of all these diesel generators, And, uh, you know, tweet tweet those out to all of these electric car, uh, you know, Sierra Club, (laughs) tree-hugging liberals that are out there that don't want global warming. How much global warming does one uh, major uh, kilowatt-generating diesel-powered generator running full-time, nonstop, 24-7, out in the heat of the South Texas sun... Generate. How much carbon footprint are we talking about? Did I just derail your question? Yes, I did. So <laughs> logistics.
0: Wait, yeah. no, I was, um, hold on, stop. <laughs> 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 so what I was asking you is, I was telling you like how I feel, like I switch back and forth, right? Between mm-hmm. being a total and complete like authoritarian status where I'm like, no, you can't come in our country too. And then the other side of me is like, right, well, right, you're right. coming in anyway why don't we eliminate all of the social programs, give you a a social security number and just let whoever wants to come in the country, come in and, and change the laws that are necessary. So as a border patrol agent, I want you to first address, do what?
1: You said, what's, what's my perspective on that? I'm just clarifying.
0: Yeah. I, I first want you to kind of address this notion that, you know, borders are arbitrary and, we don't need any sort of border enforcement. Your job is worthless and stupid and it shouldn't exist. And we should just let everyone come in and, and that border should not exist right now. I, I want you to give the position on why that's a bad idea.
1: Okay. I'll give a very kitchen table perspective. Okay. Do you have a lock on your front door? I do. To, to your home. Why?
0: Um, because... Can anyone come in your
1: home that wants to come in?
0: No.
1: Why is that? Because they're not vetted, right? Right. They, they, could, be, they could be anyone. You, you have precious members of your household, and you don't want just anyone having access to those precious members, right? Our right. communities are, are where our homes are, Right. Our communities are where we raise our families. So if, if there are, I mean, I'm, I'm a money where your mouth is kind of person, man. If there are people out there that legitimately are against walls and then are legitimately against these imaginary lines that we call borders, right? Or against any kind of, uh, you know, property, uh, nation, this, that, and the other. Well, start at home. Take the lock off your front door, unlock your windows, right? Uh, get your get your PIV card, I mean your your uh, your ATM card, and and make it zero 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 and write it on your card. So if anybody comes across it, there's no lock to your finances. Put your money where your mouth is. Leave your keys in your car and park it outside at night. Why do you bring your keys in? Shouldn't Shouldn't people have access? You're locking them out. You're, you know, I mean, I'm taking this to the extreme for a purpose to really glaringly pinpoint what I perceive to be an absolute hypocrisy of that viewpoint. All right. The very right, people that say that, we should have open borders. That's their
0: personal private property versus The idea that the nation is private property is a totally Mm. different value.
1: But then we get into the nation is not private property. It is public property. Therefore, under the social contract and us being a constitutional republic with a representative government, our representative government is given the authority by the people to pass laws that are then enacted and enforced for the good of the whole of the people. And our laws, what happens as they are written today, it's
0: no longer representative of the people, though.
1: Well, then that's an answer that the people need to provide, not the individuals who are out here enforcing lawfully, duly passed legislation that became law. People need to answer that question. If you were to give me the uh, the opportunity as a person, but I'm not being interviewed, particularly because of my personal beliefs, so. I'll just well, and in my in my
0: notes of what I plan to ask you, I, I I wanted to hear the delineation between your personal perspective versus your okay. border patrol agent perspective with this with regards to this question.
1: My my personal perspective is the people of this nation um, they need to, to grieve or petition their government, and they need. If their elected representatives are not taking them seriously enough, then grassroots them out of office and get somebody in there that represents you. But uh, America is so polarized that, uh, dare I say, that'll never happen again. So one only needs to read the Federalist Papers. Uh, one only needs to, to read some of the personal correspondence between Thomas Jefferson and Madison uh to know what our founders believed that we the people ought to do and some of our bill of rights exists for that very contingency and some of what was written about between the founders to that point to that aim you can look it up it's it's as of right now that that point of view has not been banned by google yet but uh there there are additional ways or steps and I'm tiptoeing around the issue, but the educated mind will get exactly what I'm saying: that the people need to essentially force the issue. I don't believe that'll ever happen. I think that uh, the majority of the people in this country they are uh, they're asleep, they're they're happily amused with Instagram, with TikTok, uh, you know, with the evening flavor of whatever crap is on um the iq reducer at night you know coming across the satellite coming across the internet playing video games watching porn hub you know whatever people's minds have been captured they're completely and totally not even turned on to the issues and it's like squirrel they're so easily distracted if yeah. something comes up and next thing you know, people are paying too much attention to it, suddenly the the narrative and the media shifts and, oh, look, we need to go to war in the Ukraine. You know, right?
0: Yes. So, Speaking of uh, Ukraine. And
1: that's where the pivot is, you know?
0: Yeah. People, um,
1: people follow the pivot.
0: There's been a pretty large influx of Ukrainian refugees coming across the border. Do you see that increasing or creating more issues for you guys?
1: No, um, because every person, regardless of their national origin, every person that's encountered slash apprehended, that's just something that like by processing wise, it's put into the box. Okay, they're from China. Okay, they're from the Ukraine. Okay, they're from Mexico. They're from Guatemala, they're from Brazil, wherever they came from. That's that's informationally collected, and but they are processed pretty much the same. Um, the the questions that uh, we ask individuals, we've been asking for years, the same questions that pertain to why are you here, where did you come from, you know, were you smuggled, did you pay. That's that's a huge question that we need to ask and we need to receive um, evidence to support if they say, no, I just walked across. Well, you're with a group and those three people said that they paid. Why did you not get to pay? You know, these these are clarifying questions that are asked in interviews and that sort of thing. Or if they're encountered on the highway, they're obviously being smuggled. They're in a conveyance. Right. And they're not driving. So the, the the. person that's driving them is usually a united states citizen so but as far as like the ukrainians um i believe there is special guidelines that go through the state department um because this is a department of state issue as far as the the asylum seeking right and they're in a declared war zone and et cetera. Et cetera. so um they are they are probably handled specifically under those provisions in a different way, mm-hmm. will they be allowed to stay? Yes, because, I mean, it's it's an ongoing humanitarian crisis. You don't want to start returning people to a nation that can't even support them because they're sieged with war, right? Sure. So we're going to send them back to Poland. We don't have a law that allows us to do that. We have to send them back to their nation of origin, right? We can't deport somebody to someone else's country. Then that's that country's burden, right? So. America's that country, man. We just absorb it, right? We, we pay everybody else's bills. We take care of everything for everyone else. And we, uh, we never try to burden anyone else. But there's always strings attached, you would think. So, yeah, that's probably a long-winded way of answering your question. But, yeah, uh, we're not really, uh, to my knowledge, I have not been seeing a bunch of Ukrainians coming across from Mexico.
0: Well, um, they're coming in they're in California, most likely... according to the reports that I've read. They're coming in okay. in Southern California.
1: So they're, they're most likely finding some passage across the ocean, air travel, on a boat, who knows. And then they're just walking up to the port of entry is what they're most likely doing. Yeah. So, um, but as far as like encountering them in the field, trying to abscond and avoid detection, that's not happening with Ukrainians. So we, we, that happens every day with people from Mexico. I have that I want to ask you. Sure.
0: Um, the first is, I'm trying to decide which one I want to ask you first. I'm going to ask you the question. So one of the comparisons that's made for you guys or police in general, I, I mean, the big theme lately or, you know, probably since the whole George Floyd situation has been the whole "a cab," right? All cops are bastards. And by being a Border Patrol agent, you fall under that category. Um, Sure. not that i'm i'm not saying that i think all cops are bastards i want to be clear about that but um one of the arguments that's constantly made is this idea that you're consciously and actively making the choice to be an enforcement arm for the state and that you are not actually really a human being you're just part of the larger entity that is imposing its will upon other individuals, and so first of all, how does that make you feel that that's the perception that has come into play for law enforcement in general? I, I want to ask that first, and then I'll move to a different version of that question or a different part of that question
1: how does How does that particular perspective about guys like me and people that wear the uniform and the badge. How do I feel about that? Yeah, I feel great. Um, I'm glad that that person who feels that way lives in a nation where they have the right to speak freely, their point of view, and guys like me are not shooting them in the head because they just spoke that. They can come up to my face and say that to me, Because we are in a free society. The very fact that we are not, and I say we, collectively, law enforcement uh, going around and acting out in a reciprocity and a vengeance towards people we disagree with disproves their perspective, disproves their point of view. We are not robotic. We are not non-humans. We are very much human. And the vast majority of us, dare I say, all of us, are students of the Constitution. We take an oath to our Constitution. And we defend our Constitution and we uphold law. We are guardians in in our, like, I guess our personality type, right? So we feel very strongly about law and order, enough so that we're willing to lay our lives down in its defense of our communities. We, We are not robotic and unhuman or non-humans unhuman i don't think that's a word um our hearts are full of love yeah inhuman thank you Our, our hearts are full of love love for the people of our nation love for our our communities love for the fact that we want our communities to be as safe as possible so you can go out to the park and push your kid on a swing no greater love is there than for those who are willing to lay their life down for the sake of another. And that's that's the ethos that guys like me live by. And I embrace someone's disagreement with me. Disagree. Think I'm what you will. I am thankful that I serve the fabric of a society that allows you to freely, without fear, have an opinion. There are places on planet Earth today Try to say that in Iran. Try to say that, dare I say, in China, right? Right. Try to try to try to say that inside of some of these nations like Saudi Arabia that are supposedly friends with our nation, right? Dare, dare you go and and accuse them of being monstrous? You might actually have some of your thoughts and some of your Opinions validated once you speak them in that nation But this nation time and time again, you turn on the evening news. What do you see? You see? lines of law enforcement Exercising ultimate restraint even in the face of being hit with Molotov cocktails bottles of piss bricks Etc. We are standing there with essentially beanbag guns and guns and guns that fire pepper paintballs, right? But we have other lethal means that are issued to us. Those are holstered up. No one's hands on that. Absolute total restraint while the people tear their cities apart. So the, the very reality of the response by the millions of former and present Presently serving members of the law enforcement community coast to coast, I think it absolutely glaringly shambles the counter argument that we are not humans, that we are just uh, instruments of the state. So I'm willing to sit down and have a cup of tea and discuss with anybody of the opposing viewpoint and let them get to know me, let them get to know guys like me, they might actually realize they like us. They might actually be happy, uh, dare I say, gleeful that we exist, that our, our role in the fabric of a society is that we willingly seek out these types of employment because of the love in our hearts, the care for our fellow citizens, the law and order, the 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 fair, safe playing field so that all Americans can freely engage in commerce, recreation, travel, leisure, sleep peaceful in their beds at night because there are men and women who wear the uniform, who carry the badge with honor, who serve their departments, serve their agencies with virtue, with respect, and they take their jobs very very seriously but with a, a light hearted approach to the authority that they have been temporarily given which is paired directly with their vetting by their agency and their community so that we do not we are we are conscious always of the rights and respectful of the very members of the community that we are Policing on their behalf. Obviously, there are those that make the news who do step out of the bounds of their arrest authority, right? Who have overstepped and have erred, and they bring discredit to the badge. They tarnish the badge. They shame their agency. They shame all law enforcement. But I mean, you're going to find that in any industry. Look at school teachers. How many school teachers are touching kids? Does that mean that we should just say all school teachers are? inhuman monsters that like to touch kids absolutely not on its face that that is a complete and total any person could disassemble that argument by like no my uncle's a school teacher and he loves children he's he, he's he's an educator he's done it for 40 years right would never touch a child so i challenge that and i, and I challenge that with our very existence we we, we stand as, as uh, a testament against the very argument so There, There's a very long-winded response to, uh,
0: I think, your shortest question. (laughs) Well, I want to take it a step further. So, um, given that position, um, the Department of Homeland Security has come out and issued, um, essentially, edicts stating on what they're now deeming to be domestic extremists and domestic terrorists. And um, Mm -hmm. even with the notion of, like, online domestic terrorism... And it's essentially anyone that doesn't agree with the current administration is is really what it boils down to. And so I wonder, as a member of law enforcement who does fervently believe in the Constitution, and I many of the things that I'm saying, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I think that it's important to at least have the conversation so that some of this debate plays out between you and I. I don't necessarily agree with every position, so I do want to be transparent about that. But let's say, for the sake of argument, that you're asked or told, rather, you're directed to do something that you do not agree with or that does not adhere constitutionally to my rights as a citizen in the country, or anyone else's for that matter, not just mine personally, but um, are you going to be put in a position where you have to choose between uh, following orders and doing your job or adhering to the, the right decision? Like, what are you going to do when put in that position?
1: Well, specifically, or what if. position? I mean, are you saying that I'm like, if I'm ordered to do something that is glaringly and obviously uh, against the Constitution? Yes. Okay. Well, if it's, uh, if it's not a lawful order, it's not an order that can be obeyed. So I, I just don't see that being a, an actual reality. I know that what I see, the directives or the, uh, the policy, the, uh, the implementation of some of these caveats coming from this administration about domestic terrorism, I see it kind of as a, a political football again. Um, they're still pushing the insurrection, uh, but yet it, our top law enforcement agency, the FBI, has come out and said there is no evidence to support that there was an insurrection. The FBI is not calling that, and that is our federal bureau of investigation. And it's at the present, it is being, uh, it is under this administration. So the appointees at the executive levels who manage that agency, right, who manage that agency, they are appointees by this administration, and they're getting that report. So I think that the policy directives, the talking points, the what they implemented was prior, they, they kind of jumped the gun. They were putting that out with the expectation that when the FBI came back and concluded its investigation, they would find that there were, let's call it, three percenters. And then they would want to then already have put in place a preemptive policy to start weeding out or rooting out any person who is a three percenter who is a member of any of the federal law enforcement agencies, right? But uh, being preemptive about that, it blew up in their face like a you know bugs bunny cigar. Um, the FBI comes back and says there was there is no domestic uh, element there is no insurrectionist element. So if there wasn't even an insurrection element in the crowd that was physically present on January 6th, and I'm talking organized, right? Then how can there, can there be an organized element inside the ranks? We would police ourselves up, believe me. So um, no, I just, I mean, it's a speculative question. So that's why I'm kind of speculating and speaking out loud while I'm, I'm free thinking this, because this is something that, I mean it's a good question to pose to law enforcement. Would would we turn our guns on our own citizens, essentially, is the question, right? That's Yeah, I mean if
0: that's point. the thing. And I I think that's it's where a lot of people get really frustrated because and even myself, mm-hmm. I find myself sitting there thinking sometimes, like, you know, I have friends. You are, are one of my best friends. And I find myself you know, kind of torn in between a position of really despising, you know, the idea of the state being able to tell me what to do. Don't tell me to go pay for tags on my car because I don't want to fucking do it. And you know what I mean? Like, (laughs)
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But and then <laughs> the police mean? officer I, that gets behind me. I get mad every me. time I have
1: to get a license to go fish or license to go hunt. It's like I should fully yeah, be able yeah. to, This is something that's a natural right of every human to be able to go and get food, and yet now I have to buy back my natural right from a government agency. So I I completely uh, see that that point of view. But from being a person, former military, and now in law enforcement, career servant of the government um it's just unthinkable for guys like me to believe that we would ever be ordered i mean to turn our guns against our own citizens i and i i don't see that any person who number one is has taken an oath for the constitution could then defile that oath because we're, we're no but I longer mean, look, doing at look at the last two years
0: look at Look at all of the cops who were so excited to manhandle and, uh, you know, arrest people for violating mask orders. And Mm. those weren't laws. True. But they sure as shit didn't have a problem putting cuffs on kids, dragging them out of restaurants. You know, the, the idea, what you're saying, you know, I can't imagine that happening. It did happen. We did have law enforcement officials excited to utilize power against people based off of edicts issued by the state that were not lawful orders. And, and so that's a
1: fair analysis and a fair observation. Uh, my counter question is where were these localities? Were they uh, hard leftists? Areas or were they, you know, areas where typically like here in Texas, where we appreciate freedom?
0: Yeah, you you know, and that's a fair counterpoint. Yes, they were in, you know, hard left areas, but that doesn't matter. It it still happened.
1: It did. It did happen. And, you know, history will be the the uh, arbiter of that from from a 2020 hindsight perspective. And law enforcement will have to learn from hey, this isn't a law. Do you even have the arrest authority that that falls under? I mean, all law enforcement begins and ends with what is your authority, your limits of authority, your jurisdictional authority, your arrest authority, right? So, um, local police, call them city cops, right? They have a completely different authority granted to them than your county police and then there's the state police right they have a completely different authority and jurisdiction and there are kind of overlapping layers if you will where those authorities do cross over right and then you get into federal enforcement and federal law enforcement authorities are very uh they're with specificity they're very very limited right Uh, Yeah, I quote unquote, I'm a federal agent. I have credentials. I have a badge. I have issued equipment to include a service weapon. Right. But I can't just in my um, vehicle pull somebody over for speeding. That's not in my authority at all. Somebody can blow right past me uh, doing 95 miles an hour. Here I am patrolling in my BP truck, my Border Patrol vehicle. I have no authority to pull them over at all. Uh, I'm not trained. I'm not equipped. I don't have radar. I couldn't go to court and testify. Uh, hey, your honor, I saw this person and I, I presume they were speeding and I pulled them over. The first question that the judge is ever going to ask me is what was my authority? So where I'm going with that is, I mean, we're, we're being speculative and we're seeing snapshots, if you will, in the media, on the news, in in Twitter feeds and so on and so forth of people being arrested, being detained, being dare i say brutalized because of mask mandates um that doesn't look good and it's obviously a bad position for anyone in law enforcement but i mean answering that question honestly i don't know specifically whether or not those uh, those actual city councils um the the state the governor um did they or did they not you know see that they were enforcing existing law that like Title 42, for example, right? It exists, but it's not just being enforced until it is actually called up to be enforced, right? So there are contingencies in the laws that are written for specific threats to the populations at large. Title 42 is a great example of that, right? So um, this is something that we as a nation, we as a collective sitting in the arena of ideas honestly sincerely patiently are going to have to resolve for future generations of americans is exactly where does the authority of bureaucracy end and the pairing of bureaucratic authority with actual police powers of the state that is very scary for a civilian that is very scary for a citizen. to consider, and that is the very heart of the question that you asked me. And so, we as law enforcement need to be aware that is this an administrative position that we're being asked to enforce? And I believe I said, like an hour ago, that hey, I I can't enforce. I'm not an executive order enforcer. I'm a law enforcement agent, right? And right. that is the mentality that every single person who is a sworn public, def, you know, a, a police officer, an agent of the state, of the laws of the state, that's where the, the education of that individual is very, very, very crucial. Dare I say, maybe some of these individuals that were actively, almost gleefully exercising additional authority to arrest people who are not wearing a mask, were they possibly crossing a line where they agreed with that, even though technically it's like you said, there was not a law passed granting them the additional authority or arrest authority or policing powers to enforce public health code, right? right? So it's it's going to take a national dialogue and it's going to take honesty on both sides and it's going to take a lot of patience and dare I say, unfortunately, it's going to take a lot of looking back into the rearview mirror of the last two years of this pandemic for the police forces out there to realize hey uh this bureaucrat saying we have to go over here to the beach and arrest this guy on a kayak we don't we need to kick back to that bureaucrat and say hey show me the law you telling right. me that i have to enforce public policy well i'm not a policy enforcer you want him arrested mr bureaucrat you go over there and arrest him you know the 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 buzzword today is, and we're probably gonna laugh after I say this is like I'm not gonna arrest him. Send a social worker over there. Social workers, can, I mean, social workers can in, enforce you know uh, public policy, you know, uh, uh, personal health policy and that sort of thing. That's their that's their job. They're they're members of the community, the the you know the the health community. Law enforcement, we're here to put handcuffs on people that don't want handcuffs put on them. You know that's why we lift all the weights that we can lift in the gym, and wear dark sunglasses and try to look cool because, you know, it's it's an officer presence thing. It's true. I mean, we're we're trying to look as scary as possible. Let's get that out there. It's 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 you you laugh, you know, but it's the truth. It's called officer presence. Uh, these little pencil neck Fauci guys, man they 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 couldn't officer presence their way out of a wet cardboard box. So then they want to. <laughs> to project an authority onto law enforcement that we don't have. Well, as law enforcement, especially administrators that have legions of law enforcement that work for them, we should see our administrators of our agencies, of our departments push back and say, Hey, Mike, that's not a law that my guys can enforce. Sorry. They're not going to enforce it. And you know what, to, to, to the credit, there were sheriffs, there were, uh, department leaders of city police departments that went out, got in front of the cameras and said, Hey, my guys aren't enforcing this. Yeah. So give, give credit where credit's due, ma'am. You have to, you have to, if you're saying some guys went out there and wrongly, restricted or, dare we say, completely violated the rights of some people, there were champions of people's rights, and they were wearing a badge, and they put their name and their career and their department and their honor on the line, they went publicly to the people in front of the cameras and said, hey, we've been ordered to do this by that guy standing right over there behind me at this press conference, and I'm here today to tell you that we're not going to do it, and anyone that we see doing that, my deputies will arrest those people. So. You have both sides of that. We have both spectrums. There were there were bad actors out there, but there were some champions for the people. And we need to we need to emphasize those just as fairly
0: in, in our Yeah, dialogue. no, I agree. I, I don't like I said, I've I've been playing devil's advocate a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really proud of some of the decisions that have been made coming out of this. You have constitutional carry in more states than mm-hmm than we've ever had before. That's fucking huge. Um, in addition to that, you have states that have become essentially second amendment sanctuary states for citizens like Missouri. You know, I, I'm, I'm very happy with some of the things that have come out of this, but it's been really disappointing to see, you know, some of the things coming out of like New York, California, um, Boston, like a lot of the, and obviously, I mean, they're blue states, Oregon, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's, I, you know, I I guess just leave those states, but, but I don't want to see that spread, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to see that notion of, of edicts being treated as law, I, I guess maybe is the thing that I'm super worried about and scared of and so that's why posing the question to law enforcement officials you know any time anybody who's listening um you have elections coming up there's going to be people running for the sheriff's office you need to be asking that sheriff are you going to yes. enforce edicts coming down that are not passed by the legislation and if the answer is yes then you do not need to vote for that person like <laughs> do not allow them to be your sheriff that is a-
1: that is a wonderful point because the most important political figure in the lives of, a, of an American citizen, right? The number one person is the most important person. If you don't vote for anybody else, you need to be voting for who your sheriff is because that is the true legal law enforcement authority constitutionally, right? Um your sheriff matters more than, than anyone else. And the second most important person obviously is the person who's in charge of property taxes, right? Which I think there shouldn't even be such a thing, but I don't wanna derail the the conversation. <laughs> but you, you might actually be smiling right now, have like oh this guy hates a
0: episode together.
1: Oh, don't even get me started on on <laughs> the whole like fiat currency, federal Reserve system, house of cards. we'll be here for hours and hours and hours and, uh, <laughs>
0: Well, I have to end it really now because I've got to put my son to bed. but
1: no, i was I was done speaking.. Oh, okay. I was listening.
0: Um, but I wanted to thank you so much for coming on with me today. i'm I'm sure that we will do another episode together in the future because, I mean, I mean, you are one of my best friends, but, We have a myriad of topics that we could discuss. And, uh, um, and I, I don't know. I just, I enjoy the back and forth with you, the opposing positions, and your openness to, um, having discussions that are difficult for a lot of people. So thank you very much for coming on and entertaining the conversation with me
1: tonight. And the only way a person can ever get stronger is to lift heavier weights, you know, or lift more of them. So, um, Having an arena of ideas, having a discourse, having a honest, open, respectful dialogue to me is the only way that we're going to maintain the great republic that has been handed to us by other generations. If we become closed minded, if we are opposed to being engaged by or engaging with someone that we suspect or may even know holds a completely opposed point of view then we're missing opportunities to engage in what the founders had to do believe me i don't think that anybody in philadelphia that was locked in that room together i don't think that those men agreed on too much at all together but yet Out of the discourse and their civic civil duties that they took seriously and their mutual respect for the other statesmen in the room and their mutual respect for one another as citizens, future citizens of a free country, uh, came a dialogue that exists today. We simply must pick it up and engage in that dialogue and be honest about it and be transparent about it. And yes, some of it is is going to be hard. There have been issues that have come and gone in the society of, of our great nation, and they were uh, tremendous, heavy, massive issues. But we have worked through those, and we have come out of every single issue a, a greater nation. And the very fact that citizens from 140-plus other nations on planet Earth are risking their lives to come to this nation. They could go anywhere. They're wanting to come here proves that this is still the greatest nation on earth, irregardless of which political party is mucking things up at the time. We're still the greatest nation because we have the best people. And our people are the best because our people are, are doing what you and I are doing tonight. We're still talking. As long as we continue to do that, we're going to continue to progress. We're going to continue to get better. We're going to continue to find solutions to the ever-changing world that this nation is passing through. So, thank you for the opportunity to to talk. I always love talking with you, Heather. I truly learn something every time, and I I, uh, I I walk away challenged. And I have to you you put me up against the ropes on a couple of questions. I like that. It was great. It was uh, very honest. Uh, Questions that I, I truly wasn't prepared for. And I hope I didn't blather <laughs> on, the lunatic, the entire time. But, you did uh, not blather man, on you, like
0: a lunatic. You say that every time we talk.
1: <laughs> I go back and listen, and I'm like, man, I, I really talk a lot. But uh, <laughs> thank you, Heather. Thank you very much. Um, These are all just my own. Uh, like I said, uh, th- this is my opinion. This is my insight. This is my experience. I am not uh, speaking on behalf of the agency at all. I'm not speaking on behalf of other agencies. Um, I'm just simply trying to give like we did before, just a little bit of insight, a little bit of boots on the ground to some issues. And maybe people that are hearing this episode um, next time you see that, uh, that guy wearing the badge in your community, um, Try to consider that maybe he he's not much different from a guy like me. he chose that profession for a reason. he gave up his weekends his holidays uh he gave up his uh child's gymnastics meet his daughter's you know ballet recital his uh his son's baseball game on a on a Saturday night when you see that guy out at your local uh gas station he's driving by think about that for a second, say you know what maybe that guy He's he uh, he's doing this job, not for the paycheck. He's doing it because he's he's principled and he loves this nation. He loves my community. And maybe I should try to see him from a different perspective. Maybe the one that I have should be challenged. It should be challenged by myself first. Maybe I should challenge my own point of view. Maybe I should go over there and introduce myself to that guy and say, hey, what's your name? How did you get into this job and start your own dialogue? don't have to wait for uh a podcast to listen to one um these men and women in uniform are members of your community we love people approaching us and talking to us you know and we'll we'll give you our honest opinions we we truly will if you you know buy us a cup of coffee sometimes <laughs> or uh i'm not i'm just i'm just joking you don't have to buy us coffee but uh a donut or a slice of pizza. <laughs>
0: And on that note, that was a good one. I'm going to end it. Thank you so much for joining me tonight.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Heather. All All right. right. Talk Um, to you soon. Thank you. And good night. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care.
1: I know not what course others may take. But as for me,
0: give me liberty or give me death.